If you were to take the average husband and give him some kind of truth serum and then ask him this question, what's a perfect date in your mind? Uh, the average guy would probably say something like, I want to go see an action flick and then I want to come home with my wife and celebrate our love. That's the idea in a man's head of what would be a perfect date night. Oh, and maybe a sandwich. If we get a sandwich in there, a really good sandwich, we don't even have to talk. That's a perfect date night right there. But you know the weirdest thing? Wives actually want to talk. I know, crazy, right? It's, I, they actually want to have these deep conversations and they, they want to ask these deep questions. And it's not just, I mean, I ask my wife questions like, where's the remote or, you know, what's for dinner or something like that. But she wants to ask questions like, you know, what makes you feel loved? Which has to be a trick question anyway, right? I mean, I'm a guy. Figure it out. But, but they actually want to talk about these kind of things. And by the way, it is kind of a trick. When your wife asks you a question like that, it's not because she really wants to know what you think. It's because she's trying to set an example for you because she wants you to ask that question of her. Right? Honey, what makes you feel loved? Women actually want to talk about this kind of stuff. Now, I have been a marriage counselor for the better part of three decades. And I could tell you something, guys. Men, this is going to be a free tip. Listen up. I've learned this from listening to your wives talk about what's missing in their marriage for the last 30 years. You want to know what makes your wife feel loved? Intimacy. And not the kind of intimacy you're thinking of. The kind of intimacy where, where you dig deep into each other's lives and get to know each other better and, 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 and want to just deeply, deeply understand each other. When a husband asks his wife questions because he wants to get to know her better, that touches her heart. So a great marriage is about more than just uh, doing things together or what you do for me or what I get out of this. Marriage is about knowing each other deeply and intimately and truly connecting heart to heart. You know, the thing is, a relationship with God is no different. Let me show you what I mean. If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, we're going to dig into a really interesting passage. Let me give you the context as you're turning to Exodus 33. Uh, the children of Israel have uh, escaped Egypt and now they're in the wilderness and Moses has gone up to meet with God and uh, we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 33 beginning in verse 12, okay? So I hope you're there. Follow along with me as I read. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. In other words, God, if, we're, if you're not taking us with you, we're not going anywhere. We're only going where you go. 
For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing for which, of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. So they're having this conversation, God and Moses. The amazing thing the scripture says about Moses is that God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to a man. And I don't know what that looked like. I don't know how that worked exactly. But God and Moses had this intimate relationship. And you know what Moses was asking for? God, I want to know you more. I bet God loved that. He wants to know me more. And in verse 18, he says, he says, uh, I pray you, show me your glory. God, I want to know you more. I want to see more of you. I want to understand you better. Lord, show me who you are. And so God works out a plan. And he works out a plan to let Moses know what God is like. He, he wants Moses to see him. He wants Moses to know him a little bit better. So pick it up in verse 19. And he said... I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. How cool is that? God is actually going to reveal something of his glory to Moses. This encounter with the glory of God made a life-changing impact on Moses, right? God says, hey, here's what we're going to do, Mo. I'm going to shove you into this rock and hide you so that you're barely able to see from behind the rock. And then I'm going to pass all of my goodness by you. I'm going to, I'm going to reveal my glory to you, but I'm going to put my hand over you to protect you. Now, don't you open your eyes. You open your eyes, it will not go well with you, right? No man can see me and live. But after I pass by, I'm going to allow you to see the backside of my glory as the glory departs. And Moses saw it. As you continue reading in chapter 34, Moses saw the glory of God. And you know what the result was? His face shone. It shined so much that he had to wear a veil whenever he was around people. Guys, God is awesome. God is glorious. God is powerful. God is beautiful. And, and, and human words cannot even begin to describe all of that glory and majesty and beauty. Man, how great would it be to be exposed to the glory of God like that? So much that your face shone and everybody could see the impact of God's presence in your life. Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to be Moses to experience God's glory to that degree. You can experience his glory right now, right where you are, so much so that you'll shine too. 
Because what's available to us is even greater than what was available to Moses. Our experience with God is even more intimate than the experience with God that Moses was exposed to. He got to see a passing glimpse of the goodness of God. He got a little peek at the backside of God's glory as he passed by. A little glimpse of God's magnificence and his majesty and his beauty. And as a result, his face glowed for days. And he had to wear a veil whenever anybody was around him. Wow! But you see, it wasn't until the incarnation of Jesus that anyone ever got to really experience the fullness of the glory of God. We think, I would love to have what Moses had. But go with me to John chapter 1, and let me show you something better. Gospel of John in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And go to John chapter 1. And, and you know, John chapter 1 is a chapter that, uh, where John introduces us to Jesus, gives us some doctrine about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself became one of us, dwelt among us. And if you skip down to verse 14 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, it says this. <clears throat> and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw his glory. We see his glory in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no longer hiding in a rock. There's no longer getting in the shadows. There's no longer seeing just the backside of a manifestation of God. You and I can have the King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives, in our hearts, and we can experience the glory of God. You see, if you want to know the glory of God, if you want to experience his glory in such a way that your life is forever changed, then look no further than Jesus. Some of us read that story in Exodus and think, man, I wish I could see what Moses saw. Do you know that Moses wished he had seen in your day what you can, in his day, what you see in yours? I don't want what Moses had. Why would I want to see a glimpse of the backside of God's glory when I can look into the wonderful face of Jesus? Oh, I love the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm not wishing for what Moses had. I'm not wishing for what Moses saw. When God was made available to me in such a more direct way, what God offers you and me is so much better. Jesus himself. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The Rose of Sharon. The one who was and is and is to come. The Son of God and Son of Man. Messiah, Emmanuel, Savior, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is available to you and me. Why would we ever look at anything else? When you can look at him, why would you look away? When you can know him, walk with him, when you can be intimate with him, why would you ever long for something else? 
Jesus is the glory of God made manifest in our lives. And when Moses experienced the glory of God, his face shone, right? People could tell. When he came down from that meeting, the people were afraid to go near him because he shone, he, he, he was so bright because of his encounter with the glory of God. There was no doubt about it. Moses was changed. He was transformed. And the light of God shone through him. And if the backside of God's glory can do that, what can we expect a life-altering encounter with the living Christ to do in our lives? I'm not sure what the glory of God in our lives always looks like exactly. But I know this. When Jesus walked the earth, he called himself the light of the world. You're in the Gospel of John. Just turn over to chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus gets into this discussion and pick it up with me in verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you get that? Jesus, the glory of God, is the light of the world. And as the light of the world he has a profound impact on those who follow him. As we follow him, his light shines not only upon us, but it even begins to shine through us. He says that we will walk in that light, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus says this to those who knew him, who worshiped him, who encountered him face to face and experienced the fullness of God's glory in their presence. He told them what they could expect. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Just go back three books. Find the book of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses this. To those who are in his presence, here's what he says. Verse 14, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, he goes from, I am the light of the world, and then he speaks to those who are with him, and he says, and you are the light of the world. There is something about being in the manifest presence of the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ that transforms my life, not just on the inside, but in a way that is obvious to everyone. When we're transformed by the glory of God through a personal relationship with Jesus, we become world-changing reflection of God's glory for all to see. First, God's glory shines on us in the person of Jesus. Then his glory shines through us for all to see. And the result is that they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. So the glory begins with God. The glory ends with God. All the glory belongs to God. You see, when you're intimately involved with Jesus, your life becomes something it never was before. It becomes a conduit of glory into a dark world. <clears throat> so if you're a Christian... <clears throat> Can I implore you, stop looking for something more. Stop longing for things to somehow fit into your way of thinking about the, the abundant life. 
Stop looking for a new revelation, a new experience, a time of worship where the hair on your neck stands up and you have all of these warm emotions flooding over you. Those things can be wonderful. Those things can be nice. But you know what? All of that really is just a cheap imitation, a substitute for Jesus himself. You, Christian, you, follower of Christ, you, if you have submitted your life to Christ, you, if you're a part of his church, you have Jesus. You are a child of Jesus. You are a friend of Jesus. You have full access to the glory of God in the person of, fill in the blank, Jesus. What more could we possibly need? Oh, church. Too many of us have been trying to live this life on our own strength. We've been looking for the secret recipe for success or, or some way to find real meaning in life when we already have Jesus. And some of us have been virtually ignoring him. He waits for you. He waits for you every day to long to know him more, to long to experience his glory, to, to long to see him and know him, to spend time with him, to set your gaze on him. And he is oh so worthy of our full focus. This is the introduction to a sermon series called Follow Me, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus. And the idea of doing this series is that through his word, our lives are going to be forever changed. I don't mean philosophically. I don't mean the theoretically. I mean that our lives are going to be actually transformed. I mean that our, our, our lives are going to have different experience. I mean that in a practical sense, we will never be the same. But it won't be because we learned a new technique or we learned some new discipline or some strategy for living the abundant life. It's going to be because we turned our eyes upon Jesus and looked full in his wonderful face. And in so doing, we allow the manifest presence of the glory of God to saturate our lives in such a way that we shine as the light of the world for Jesus. It's going to be a great adventure as we learn about Jesus, as we learn to think like Jesus, prioritize our lives like Jesus, uh, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus as we follow him and learn to, work, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I hope you'll join me. It's going to be the ride of a lifetime. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, it's at this time that we just come before you to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the unbelievable privilege of being counted among the children of God because of the love of Jesus. Thank you that you manifested your own glory in him, that the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Father, it is not just those who walked with him physically who get to behold his glory, but even today through the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Father, may our lives be transformed so that we are the light of the world and the world sees our good works and glorifies our Father who's in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.